Hello everyone and welcome to Homicide Hot Dish, where you get your weekly scoop of true crime. I'm Brittany. And I'm Deanna. Now, since this is a new month, we had to choose a new theme. And since it's October, I guess you could say we went a little cliche. So the theme we chose for this month is Halloween Horrors. But before we get into our first case, we need to talk hot dish. This week's recipe is Ritz Cracker Chicken Hot Dish. And if you're looking for a really quick hot dish to make and need to have supper ready in like literally half an hour, this is the recipe you need. It's honestly like the easiest hot dish I have ever made. And it takes very little time to put it all together. And it takes about 25 minutes or so to bake. And I love hot dishes that are crunchy. Sometimes I actually like to burn my hot dish a little bit so it gets kind of crunchy on the top. Weird, I know. So again, this one has Ritz crackers on the top, which is an amazing combo with the chicken in it. It is so good. So like always, check out our Facebook page for that recipe. Now, for this first case, when we hear of a murder that was committed due to a life insurance policy, it's usually, if not always, a spouse murdering the other in order to collect their life insurance. Well, this case is a little different. This time, a father murders his child to collect the life insurance. And the murder isn't really, in my opinion, a gruesome one. Um, he actually poisons his child on Halloween night. This is the murder of Timothy O'Brien. Halloween is supposed to be a fun night out for kids to dress up, eat a ton of candy without getting in trouble from their parents, and to stay up late. I'm sure we've all heard of parents checking their children's Halloween candy before they eat it just to make sure that it's safe to eat as there have been instances where children have been trick-or-treating and the people passing out the candy have actually put glass, needles, or drugs in the candy. It's not often that this happens, but sometimes it does. And something nobody would ever expect is that the person tainting with the candy would actually be the child's parent. According to Investigation Discovery, on Halloween night of 1974 in Pasadena, Texas, 30-year-old Ronald O'Brien and his wife, along with their two children, Timothy, age 8, and Elizabeth, age 5, had dinner with family friends. These friends were Jim Bates and his wife and their two children. After dinner, the two fathers took their children trick-or-treating. Even though it was lightly raining, the children still wanted to do the annual candy hunt, and Timothy was so excited to show off his Planet of the Apes costume. Ronald grabbed a raincoat to put on before heading out. Ronald would be the one to take the children up to the houses for candy while Jim waited on the sidewalk. According to the mail factor's register, Jim Bates was quoted saying, The children were very excited. They were running from door to door. They would shout, Trick or treat! There wasn't really any tricking. They were enjoying it so much. End quote. At one point during their walk, they came up to a house that had a wall concealing the front door. The house had all the lights off, which usually meant that nobody was home or that they didn't have any candy to pass out. Even so, the children still knocked. After no one came to the door, the children quickly ran off to the next house, anxious for more candy. Jim quickly followed behind them. 
But Ronald took his time. A few moments later, he came out from behind that wall that was concealing the front door of that home. And in his hands, he was holding five giant pixie sticks. According to the mail factor's register, Ronald said, quote, You must have rich neighbors. Look what they gave out, end quote. He claimed that after their children left, that someone came to the door and handed him the pixie sticks for the kids. Now, pixie sticks were a more expensive treat back then, hence him saying, you must have rich neighbors. Ronald held on to the pixie sticks until they got back to the Bates' home. Their night ended up being cut short due to the rain, so they all returned to the Bates' home a little earlier than they had planned. When they got inside the home, Ronald handed the children the pixie sticks. Deanna, read a quote from Jim Bates' daughter that was shared by the mail factor's register. She says, quote, He handed one to me, one to my brother, and one to each of his children, and there was one left. The doorbell rang, and there were some trick-or-treaters, end quote. According to episode one of Inside the Dark, one of those children at the door was 11-year-old Whitney Parker, whom Ronald recognized as a boy who went to his church. He gave the boy the pixie stick and the trick-or-treaters left. Soon after, Ronald and his two children went home. According to Murderpedia, Ronald's wife had gone to visit a friend. And when Ronald and the two children get home before bed, Ronald tells them that they can each have one last piece of candy. Timothy chose the pixie stick and Elizabeth chose a different piece of candy. Timothy was so excited to get a final treat before bed that he didn't even notice there was an odd staple that was holding the pixie stick together at the end. According to the Statesman News Network, Timothy had a hard time getting the sugary powder out of the pixie stick. It seems like it was maybe stuck together. So he asked his dad for help. Ronald tried to loosen the powder by rubbing the pixie stick in between his hands, kind of rolling it back and forth, and then he poured some down Timothy's mouth. Timothy then complained that it didn't taste good, and he said it was bitter, which is not how a pixie stick should taste. So, Ronald got some Kool-Aid to rinse it down. A short while later, Ronald says he heard his son crying, Daddy, Daddy. Deanna, read the quote from Ronald from an interview he did with the Associated Press. This, he explains, happened right after Timothy ate the pixie stick. He said, quote, It seems like it wasn't long before he was up and complaining his stomach hurt and he didn't feel good. He was bent over vomiting, and I was holding him when he just went limp, end quote. Ronald called for an ambulance and held his son while they waited. According to Investigation Discovery, former District Attorney Mike Hinton said, quote, I got a call from the Pasadena Police Department. They told me an eight-year-old boy had died. He was rushed to the hospital, but he'd already passed, end quote. Less than an hour after eating that pixie stick, Timothy was dead. Mike Hinton took no time getting the investigation going. How could an eight-year-old child just die like that? According to Vice Media Group, he calls the chief medical examiner and explains the situation to him and what Ronald had told him. The medical examiner then asked Hinton what the boy's breath smelled like. So he made a call to the morgue, which revealed that there was a scent of almonds coming from Timothy's mouth. The medical examiner knew right away what it was. He said, it's cyanide. An autopsy proved this to be true. Timothy had consumed enough cyanide to actually kill two people. So where did this cyanide come from? The only logical explanation is the pixie sticks. Police confiscated the pixie sticks that were given to Timothy and his sister, as well as the two that were given to the Bates' children. That left one more. 
the one that was given to Whitney Parker, the boy who went to church with the O'Briens. When police got to Whitney's house and told his parents what was going on, they obviously kind of freaked out, and they couldn't find the pixie stick. Then they went up to his room where he was asleep, and he was holding the pixie stick, which was unopened. It seemed that he wasn't strong enough to get the heavy-duty staple off the end, and he ended up falling asleep before he ate any of it. All the pixie sticks tested positive for cyanide. It was determined that somebody had cut the tops off of them and put about two inches of cyanide at the top. They then resealed the tubes with a heavy-duty staple, obviously making sure that it wouldn't accidentally open. According to the Mail Factors Register, Jim Bates said, quote, I came within just a whisker of losing both my children, end quote. After the O'Briens left the Bates' home that Halloween night, the Bates' son took a bath and then told his mother that he was going to have the pixie stick right before going to bed. But his mother said, absolutely not. It's too messy of a treat for inside the house. You need to eat that outside. So he didn't eat the pixie stick. Had he have eaten it, there'd most likely be two dead children. In an interview with the Associated Press, Ronald said, quote, We thought we were so careful. We had even wondered if we should go out trick-or-treating this year. There isn't going to be any more trick-or-treating for us, end quote. According to Investigation Discovery, former detective Bill Lanier said, quote, People were scared to death. We put out the word, if you have any suspicious candy or if anything looks strange, bring it to us. We wound up with a whole room full of candy, end quote. According to Inside the Dark, Timothy was laid to rest on November 2, 1974, and his father sang a song at his funeral and said, quote, I have peace in knowing Tim is in heaven now, end quote. There wasn't a dry eye in the entire congregation, as you can imagine. Now, investigators needed to find out why Timothy had to die, and now that they knew that the cyanide was from the Pixie Six, they needed to find the house that they came from. Remember, on Halloween, Ronald and the kids went up to a house that had its lights off. And when nobody came to the door, the kids left, but Ronald waited. And before he stepped away, somebody came to the door and gave him the pixie sticks. Investigators asked Ronald which house the treats had come from. And you think that he'd be able to remember that? Because, I mean, they only went down two streets, and this house had that weird wall that concealed the front door, so... I would think it'd be easy to remember that house. But oddly enough, Ronald couldn't remember which house the treats had come from. In fact, he said he didn't even actually see a person hand him the candy. Wait a minute, what? Right, weird. So Ronald said he only saw an arm and someone passed him the candy. Investigators found this to be a little bit strange and they started to become kind of suspicious of Ronald. So they kept their eye on him. Also, something strange that Detective Bill Lanier said is that Ronald wasn't even crying or anything after Timothy's death. But even so, there wasn't really any reason for them to believe that he was involved in any way. So, to try to jog Ronald's memory, the police take him out along that trick-or-treat route that they took to see if maybe that would help him remember which house it came from. But Ronald says he still doesn't know which house it was, and now he says he doesn't even know which street it was. Investigators start to kind of get a little annoyed with him at this point. I mean, like I said, they went down only two streets, and it can't be that hard for him to remember. Finally, one last time, investigators take him out again. This time, he remembers the house. He points to the home of Courtney Melvin. 
However, according to Inside the Dark, Courtney has an alibi that over 200 people confirmed. Courtney was actually working the night of October 31st, Halloween night, as an air traffic controller at Hobby Airport. His wife and daughter were home that night, but they had turned off all the lights early because they ran out of candy. And it was proven that his wife didn't do this and his daughter didn't do this, so they still need to find where the pixie sticks came from. Now that they knew that the pixie sticks didn't come from the Melvin home, the police really knew something strange was going on. So they started to dig into Ronald's past. According to Medium.com, they found that Ronald had been fired from 21 jobs over a 10-year time span. He was also struggling financially with over $100,000 in debt, and some people had said that he was even about to be fired from his current job as well. Not only that, but their home was in foreclosure and their car was about to be repossessed. They needed money bad. When police question Ronald about his son's death, he denies having anything to do with it at all. He says the person at fault is that mysterious man who gave him the pixie sticks. Then, a few days after Timothy was buried, the police receive a very interesting phone call from an insurance agent. According to Inside the Dark, the agent informed them that Ronald had paid cash for a $20,000 life insurance policy on each of his children on October 3rd of that year, just 28 days before Timothy's death. The insurance agent also told them that he had tried to get Ronald to agree to a different policy that had a smaller death benefit, but Ronald was persistent that this is the policy he wanted on his children. The agent said one more thing that seemed a little odd. He said Ronald insisted that his wife didn't need to sign the policies, and he even requested that the policies just stay at the office. Once detectives hear this, they become really interested in Ronald. I mean, he was in so much debt, now he had a way to pay some of that back. Seems pretty convenient. Detectives began to look further into Ronald and found that in January of that year, 1974, Ronald took out life insurance policies on his children with a $10,000 benefit. Then, later in the year, he took out an additional policy of $20,000 of each on his children. So, with all of these policies combined, including that most recent one that was taken out on October 3rd, he was looking at getting $60,000 just for Timothy's death alone. So, take that times two if his daughter would have eaten the pixie sticks as well. Detectives received some interesting information from Ronald's sister-in-law as well. According to the New York Daily News, his sister-in-law says that at Timothy's funeral... Ronald was talking about using the insurance money from Timothy to take a long vacation. I mean, who says that? Like, at your child's funeral. This makes Ronald look even more suspicious. Ronald was an optician and worked for the Texas State Optical. When detectives spoke to some of his co-workers, they learned of some more incriminating things tying Ronald to the murder. According to the Mail Factors Register, Ronald knew that cyanide was previously used to polish gold frames, a technique that was no longer being used. In August of 1974, he spoke to several people about purchasing cyanide, and he told his workers that it was because he was interested in learning that old method of polishing the frames. Ronald spoke to at least 12 people about cyanide, including one person who he asked what amount of cyanide you would need to kill a person. According to Medium.com, Ronald even went to a wholesale chemical store in search of cyanide. 
However, he left when the employee told him that the smallest amount they had was five pounds. Obviously, to kill a couple kids, you don't need that much, so Ronald left. Police searched Ronald's home and they found pieces of the pixie sticks tops and a pocket knife with traces of the plastic and candy on the blade. According to Investigation Discovery, while searching his home, one detective was quoted saying, I found an adding machine tape. It had all of his bills written out next to the numbers on an adding machine tape. It came to almost the exact amount of what he stood to collect, end quote. Detectives later found out that Ronald had called insurers the morning after his son died to find out about claiming payments for the life insurance policies. Oh my gosh, you're kidding me. The next day? Yep, not even a full day later. According to Investigation Discovery, the former county district attorney, Mike Hinton, has another interesting thing to add about Ronald. Deanna, go ahead and read the quote from Mike. He says, quote, It turned out O'Brien was going to community college and in class would ask his professor questions like, what is more lethal, cyanide or another type of poison? End quote. So he's actually asking people about using cyanide to kill someone. And coincidentally, his son dies from cyanide poisoning? I don't think so. Detectives bring all this information they have to Ronald, and he still says, I'm 100% innocent. However, on November 5th, 1974, just six days after Timothy's death, Ronald is arrested and indicted on one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. People in the community were shocked of Ronald's arrest. According to the Mail Factors Register, Ronald's pastor said that Ronald was, quote, a good Christian man and above average father, end quote. A neighbor said, quote, there has to be a foul up somewhere. I don't feel that he could do that at all, end quote. Another said, quote, until I hear his own statement that he did it, I'll never believe it, end quote. According to Statesman News Network, former detective Bill Lanier says he was so close to getting Ronald to confess. Deanna, read his quote. He says, quote, He came close. I got him right to the line. An interrogation typically goes through stages. First, there's denial. Then you can see the subject give up. With O'Brien, I seen that give up. We'd been in the interview room for a while, and he slumped and started nodding his head like he's agreeing with me. I said, now is the time to tell me. And he nodded some more, so I waited a couple of minutes. When he didn't say anything, I said, Ronald, tell me. And he said, tell you what? And the moment was gone. He never got there. End quote. Ronald became known as the Candyman and the man who killed Halloween. His trial began in May of 1975, and during his trial, he still maintained his innocence. His defense blamed the pixie sticks on some untraceable monster. But not many people believed him, including his wife. According to the New York Times, she testified against him and insisted that she was completely unaware of his plans and said she wasn't even aware of the life insurance policies on their children, which does make sense as the agent who called the police said that Ronald told him it wasn't necessary for his wife to sign. She says she only knew about the $10,000 policies, and she says she actually even objected to them, which would make sense why Ronald then wanted to hide the others from her. She says, quote, I tried to discourage him, but he said it was a thing to do. We didn't have that much money, end quote. When she took the stand, she avoided even looking at him. 
she described his behavior after Timothy died that night. She said, quote, he beat the wall and asked questions out loud why an eight-year-old boy had to die. I did not see any tears, end quote. On June 3, 1975, Ronald was found guilty on one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. And after deliberating for only 46 minutes, he was sentenced to death. According to Investigation Discovery, Harold Nassif, a former detective sergeant, said this about that Halloween night in 1974. Deanna, go ahead and read his quote. He says, quote, It was kind of a cold and kind of a misty, damp night. Since it had been raining, Mr. O'Brien had a raincoat on. Unbeknownst to anyone, he had the pixie sticks up the sleeves of his raincoat, end quote. Ronald could have changed his mind at any time and just gotten rid of the candy, but he didn't, and now he's paying for it. Bill Lanier told the Associated Press, quote, That was what was horrible, his willingness to sacrifice other kids to cover it up. That really shook us. We got lucky getting that candy back, end quote. Hey, do we know where he got the cyanide from since he didn't get it from work or that chemical store? No, investigators never found out where it came from, and up until his very last breath, Ronald still maintained his innocence. Okay. Ronald tried to appeal his sentence multiple times over nearly a decade, but his sentence still stood. He was supposed to actually be killed via the electric chair. However, nearly a decade later, because of all his appeals, in 1984, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the electric chair was a cruel and unusual punishment, so he was actually killed by lethal injection. On March 31, 1984, Ronald O'Brien had his last meal. He had steak, fries, peas, and Boston cream pie. Here are Ronald's final words. He writes, quote, what is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. However, we as human beings do make mistakes and errors. This execution is one of those wrongs, yet doesn't mean our whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I would forgive all who have taken part in any way in my death. Also, to anyone I have offended in any way during my 39 years, I pray and ask your forgiveness, just as I forgive anyone who offended me in any way. And I pray and ask God's forgiveness for all of us respectively as human beings. To my loved ones, I extend my undying love. To those close to me, know in your hearts I love you one and all. God bless you all and may God's best blessings always be yours. Ronald C. O'Brien P.S. During my time here, I have been treated well by all TDC personnel. End quote. Ronald was declared dead shortly after midnight at 12.48 a.m. There were hundreds of people gathered outside the Texas State Penitentiary waiting for this news. Some were even wearing costumes, and when they got word of Ronald's death, they all shouted, Trick or treat! <laughs> wow, how fitting. Right? Ronald's wife divorced him shortly after testifying against him in court, and I read that she did remarry and move on with her life, as did his daughter Elizabeth. After Timothy's murder, Halloween was never the same. Many people actually didn't even go trick-or-treating around there for years. It literally ruined Halloween, which is why Ronald was given the nickname, The Man Who Killed Halloween. And with that, we would like to thank you for listening, and be sure to stay tuned in to our Facebook page for some fun facts and to see when our next episodes are coming out. <laughs>